Welcome to Health Equity Now. I'm your host, John Gorman. In my over two decades of work in healthcare and government programs, I've had the opportunity to work with and get to know many industry leaders just as they were breaking through and showing the industry what they had to offer. There have been a handful of undeniable rock stars in my time, uh, and perhaps none more so than our next guest, my dear friend, Chris Palmieri. I first met Chris while he was coming up through the Visiting Nurse Service of New York, making waves through the launch of VNSNY Choice Health Plans, uh, which is their uh, dual eligible special needs plan. When Chris took over Commonwealth Care Alliance in Boston in 2015, no one imagined just how quickly he would propel CCA to new heights of growth in specialty care for the chronically ill and vulnerable elders, nor massively expanded their uh, impact in Massachusetts. Last year alone, CCA expanded its footprint to three new states. And if I know Chris, which I like to think I do after 17 years of friendship with this guy, he's just getting started. Chris, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks, John. It's good to be with you today. Thanks, man. So Chris currently serves as president and chief executive officer of Boston-based Commonwealth Care Alliance. Uh, they're doing about a billion and a half a year with over a quarter million members. Chris is also the founder of Winter Street Ventures, which is CCA's new startup accelerator and venture investment subsidiary. His career has included leadership positions with such organizations as Faxton St. Louis Healthcare and Mohawk Valley Network, Metropolitan Jewish Health System, and Group of New York. Chris spent nearly 10 years at the Visiting Nurse Service of New York, as I mentioned, the largest not-for-profit home health care organization in the United States, where he served as president and CEO of VNSNY Choice Health Plans, successfully launching a $2 billion safety net insurance company offering both Medicare Advantage and Medicaid managed care products. Prior to joining CCA, he... uh, served as CEO of Remedy Partners, a national bundled payment company, which is now part of Signify, right? It is, yeah. Yep, my old spinoff. Um, yeah, so our, our paths have intertwined in so many ways over our 17 years together, my friend. I'm so glad to have you on finally. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. It's great to see you. Thanks, buddy. So um, take us through the beginning of your career in healthcare. I mean, I, I got kind of shoved into it and tossed into the deep end up on Capitol Hill uh, doing healthcare policy work. How did your career in healthcare start? Oh, man, it started almost by accident. I, um, I grew up uh, in upstate New York, a uh, fairly poor kid, and always had my sights on, on becoming a lawyer. And uh, my, my siblings were all in healthcare. My oldest brother uh, was a nursing home administrator at the time. My middle brother um, worked uh, in the dietary department of a nursing home, and and then my sister was also a nursing home administrator, and they followed in the footsteps of my late uncle who owned adult care facilities and nursing homes. And I I really wanted to go in a different direction. And I had this sort of uh, realization as a sophomore in college that um, really a panic attack, frankly. I called my brother. My brother's 17 years older than me, so he has a little bit more maturity and wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I just said, hey, Michael, um, I don't know if I'm going to get into law school. I don't know if I'm going to have money to go. Uh, I'm really concerned that I'm going to come out with a bachelor's degree in political science and, and really not have a future. And he said he, he, he was he was really gracious. He said, hey, let's let's get together in person. 
and sort of go through your options. And uh, he told me all about healthcare um, broadly, mostly through the senior care space. And I said, you know, I, I, it sounds great. It's a huge, it's a huge business. I, I'd like to maybe focus on hospital administration or something else and ended up transferring colleges. Uh, I went to Ithaca College uh, for the last two years, um, got a bachelor's in health, health administration, and then decided to go back to home, Utica, New York, and work in this uh, 100 physician multi-specialty group practice that was taking global risk on all their uh, insurance contracts and losing a ton of money. And uh, I came in and the CEO was a, was a New York City guy that came up um, uh, uh, from Montefiore and uh, wanted to live in a rural community, educate his children there. And he took me under his wing and taught me everything, um, you know, as a, as a 21 year old kid Whoa. that I needed to know around managed care and capitation. And, and it was, it was, it was a really interesting start to my career. Isn't the impact of mentors at that stage of your career is just incredible, isn't it? And the path that they can set you down. I mean, I, it's hard to imagine yeah, I mean, your it's, career it's just, today without that formative event, right? I'm, I wouldn't have, I it would, I would just be in a different place. And, right. uh, you know, the mentorship he provided me, his name was Paul Skopak. And then, uh, from that role, uh, I moved on after three years to go literally to the hospital across the street, which you, um, identified in my intro as Mohawk Valley network and yeah. the CEO of that hospital system also took me under his wing, a guy named Keith Fenstemacher. And, um, I was building a very small managed care plan for seniors uh, for them. Uh, they were one of the, the few in, the, in an early New York State demonstration around LTSS managed care. And uh, I was building and running a managed care plan at like 23 years old. And I had um, these iconic hospital administrators mentoring me. And it was, it was just amazing. Now, uh, I will say that I, I was able to pay it back because both at one point and I worked together uh, huh. and I, I was able to help her and, um, and, and Paul's son actually worked for me for a period of time at CCA. No kidding. <laughs> and uh, it's really nice to be able to pay, pay that back uh, for people that had really gone out of their way to help me at a time where I was very vulnerable and impressionable and didn't know much. Um, so it was a great way to get a start. Oh, that's awesome, man. And then before CCA, you were over at VNSNY. And for those who aren't familiar, tell us a little about that plan and, and how it shaped your leadership style as it was emerging. Yeah, it's, um, you know, there's a, there's a step I missed, which is, you know, how does an upstate New York kid find his way in Brooklyn um, in, in sort of the middle, middle of like a, a, just a booming a time? And unfortunately, you know, we all live through uh, the, 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 the tragic incidents of 9-11. And right after 9-11, I decided to move to New York um, to turn around another health plan that was owned by Metropolitan Jewish Health System. Yeah. And then had the opportunity to work with Amerigroup when it was a very um, young organization, yeah. um, independent uh, in six states. And they wanted to get into Medicare Advantage and LTSS. And I really love New York City and Amerigroup was insistent that I move to Virginia Beach and I, I chose not to. And I had to I had to leave the organization, but it, I did find my ways, as you said, to the Visiting Nurse Service of New York, which is just the most incredible healthcare institution, uh, in, yeah. in my opinion, 
that exists. In 1893, their founder, Lillian Wald, invented not only home care, but she also invented social work in the United States and pioneered the women's movement um, from the Henry Street Settlement. And, you know, the history and its richness in that organization is still what, what continues to shape it today. Right. They um, were desirous to become a health insurance company for their what was one of their core populations, which was seniors um, that both uh, were on Medicaid as well as those that had some financial resources. And the CEO at the time, Carol Raphael, had hired me to help build out uh, that plan and, uh, and, and realize that. And I stayed in the organization for 10 years and we did indeed build a Medicare Advantage plan. We built integrated plans that coordinated Medicare and, and Medicaid. Yep. And then also um, built a very large community-based Medicaid uh, LTSS or long-term services and supports health plan and had over 40,000 subscribers and nearly two and a half billion in premium revenue. And it was just, it was, it was a wonderful time to be with that organization. And, you know, we had 22,000 employees, 5,000 registered nurses that every day were out in the field, 12,000 personal care workers um, that were, you know, doing everything for a consumer related to activities of daily living. And, um, you know, it was, it's just, it's, it's a remarkable organization and it's, it's, you know, having been gone now for almost 10 years, it's stronger today than when I was there. And it's, it's great to continue to watch it grow. Yeah. It's a, such a storied organization in New York healthcare and uh, really nice to have seen you, you left it in the hands of such an able Lieutenant as, as Dr. Haney Abdullah. And he seems to be doing really well. You know, it's, it's funny. I met Haney on, on his exam table in 2001. I was in a motor vehicle accident. Oh, and uh, uh, sitting on his exam table, I wasn't really injured. And I hear this, this, this person laughing in the other room and he picked up the chart and saw the name and realized that I was his boss, had never met him. And uh, oh and my God, he was my part-time medical director. And on that exam table, I started to convince him to leave practice and come and work for me full-time at Metropolitan Jewish Health System. When I left to go to Amerigroup, he took over for me as the, as the plan CEO and then years later, I, I convinced him to come to the Visiting Nurse Service of New York, where he started as the organization's chief medical officer and then ended up getting involved with the health plan, which he was trying to escape. I know he yeah. was. Yeah. And then when I left in 2014, he took over as CEO. And it's been, uh, we've had a lifelong friendship and, and still yeah. are, are quite collegial. And it's just great to, to also watch him uh, uh, in that role do all the things that I was unable to do while I was, while I was there. He's an amazing guy and, and just a great wingman to have through all those years of your career. Sure. And then you took over at CCA in 2015, but there was a lot going on there in social services before you came in and supercharged it. Tell us more about the origins of CCA. Is it, was it much similar to VNS? You know, similar but different nursing model and, right. um, and uh, you know, had the uh, uh, skills of being able to navigate in the communities and the homes. I met the, the founder of CCA in 2006 while I was building out the VNSNY plans, uh, Bob Master, iconic uh, physician. Yeah. Uh, he, and his, he and his wife started the Urban Medical Group in the mid-70s, and he was caring for individuals at the time that, that had really been left behind by the healthcare system, people sure. with 
people that were that that did not have housing, uh, had mental illness, were suffering from HIV and AIDS, which back back in the '70s was a hopeless disease. Yeah. Um, uh, substance use disorder, severe physical disabilities, and um, he and his wife, his late wife Marie Felton, were were really doing at the time God's work. And he had a vision and was very instrumental to have an integrated health insurance offering that could cover hospital physician services, prescription drugs, and things that would address you know what then we called it public health but really social determinants of health transportation right. helping somebody be viable in the home and he was instrumental with the with the commonwealth of massachusetts in creating uh, the senior care options program with with mitt romney and the team um, that was in the administration and that became the really the first integrated offering for seniors in the country and it's yeah. been an incredible success story yeah um so so you know Bob is a brilliant doctor. He didn't he didn't build the organization out for scale. And um, uh, what happened over time is the 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 health insurance market became incredibly competitive. And, yeah. um, and especially in Boston. Yeah. And, 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 and frankly, incredibly complicated. Um, the work that Bob was doing. I mean, he was running a health plan. He was running multiple provider organizations and uh, decided uh, in 2014 to get into a, an offering that would serve the adult disabled, people with physical disability, mental mm -hmm. illness, that also qualified for Medicare because of their condition, not their age. Uh, and that's called OneCare. And that was one of the first in the country um, that uh, served uh, populations in a coordinated care, managed care uh, way. And um, when I came in 2015, um, you know, CCA was an organization that was doing great things, but it was, it struggled financially. Um, it did not have um, uh, uh, all of the operators that it needed to uh, run. Uh, the organization that it, it had become uh, needed additional investments in its infrastructure and uh, really had some scale economy issues. It was too small from a revenue perspective yeah. to be able to discharge all of its responsibilities to be compliant, to be able to offer everything under the Medicare Advantage specifications. Um, and, um, and we were losing workers as well. We were losing the frontline workers because we weren't able at the time to pay them uh, a competitive wage. And you know, I had come in originally to help the organization decide what its, uh, what its options were. And uh, that's what the, the, the board wanted me to do. And there was a variety of options, including, including potentially closing the organization. Wow. And, uh, you know, now having two decades of experience in building health plans, you know, I came in and said, geez, there's something really unique here. And, and what I remember when I met Bob in 2006 was he had this model that put the, the, the consumer, the patient in the center of their own universe and built everything around them. Uh, with physicians, with in-home workers, people that were navigating healthcare, people that were, were looking at the environment of a consumer, addressing the social determinants, dealing with uh, mental health issues. So we had this sort of global approach and we were working towards that when I was at the Visiting Nurse Service of New York, but we didn't have the physician component as a part of our model. It was a, a subcontracted component. Right. And when I came in, I, I educated our, our board then and said, you have something here that is unique to anywhere in the country. And uh, it would really be in the organization's best interest to try to save it, build it out, make a big impact in Massachusetts, and then evaluate it for further 
expansion to other geographies. And that's, that's essentially what, what we did. Um, we, we rebuilt the infrastructure. Um, we stabilized the workforce. Um, we regained the confidence of our regulator, which at the time was MassHealth. And we really had an open book with them about what we were doing to the organization and the changes we were making. We, we did restore that confidence. They were able to give us uh, passive enrollment again, which we at one point said, we can't take, can't take this anymore. Right. And then on the, on the, the over 65 program, we, which is called SCO or senior care options, we built a, a and are out doing direct to consumer selling. And, you know, that organization at the time served 15,000 members, the organization that exists today um, in Massachusetts alone, you know, we're, we're, we're nearing 50,000 members in Massachusetts alone. And, wow. you know, in your intro, you said we were a billion in revenue. We're two and a half billion in revenue right now. Whoa. Um, and that, you know, so we've surpassed what, what we've been able to, what I was able to do at the visiting nurse service of New York and, um, and now have started to expand to other markets and without, yeah. uh, any sort of interruption in the person centered care that we offer here in Massachusetts the, the um, consumer satisfaction that we've all um, been very proud of. Um, and now we're looking at how do we export the model to places like Rhode Island, which we entered last year, uh, like Michigan, which we just acquired a variety of healthcare delivery assets and um, health insurance offerings and California. And we're really, and we're super excited. And we also uh, just, just this week uh, received our HMO license for Indiana. Which we're really proud of. Um, so we've been we've been very busy, and I think the you know the organization today really believes in this approach to serve consumers, put them at the center of their own universe, and address all of their needs, keep them uh, as 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 viable as 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 possible in the community, and yeah. and have them sort of choose their own destiny. And that's what's really important. This person centered approach um, it, it it improves our engagement with, sure. with our customers. And, um, and really, again, it's, um, it, 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 it's, an, it's an incredible way to do this. And, you know, I look forward to bringing it to all these other markets. I mean, it's just so consistent with the rest of your career, my friend, that you're just 10 years ahead of the game that everybody else is, is trying to get to. Um, you know, certainly with, with Medicare now being all about person-centered care and, you know, 57% of star ratings are attributable to the member experience. You guys have been doing it this way for a decade already and uh, puts you way ahead of, uh, of competitors in this stuff. But man, dude, Michigan, California, Indiana, welcome to the jungle. I mean, these are these are tough markets. And we've tried New York a few times. And, you know, one of the things that that you may not even know about me is, you know, my middle brother uh, has a physical disability. And oh, uh, I didn't uh, know that. Illness. And uh, he is uh, 15 years older than me. I'm sort of the. My mom called me the baby some days when she was upset, she called me the mistake. But yeah. you know, when you're when your closest sibling is 12 years apart, yeah, yeah. I, I go with I go with sort of accident. Um, yeah, exactly. But uh, my middle brother has has uh, relied on healthcare his entire life. And, uh, you know, what's amazing today, um, he's enrolled in the VNSMY plan. So he oh, he's no kidding. In the plan I built. Uh, he's he's living independently. Uh, my mom, who was his primary caregiver, passed away a year ago. And, you know, he found himself sort of left without resources to keep him um, living his fullest life. And the VNSMY plan that, you know, I expanded to Utica, New York uh, sometime in 2012, uh, which is where he lives, is, is he's getting amazing care. He lives alone. 
he's 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 doing great. He's happy. And you know, every time I think about where we're headed, or when I bump into a consumer that we serve in Boston, I think about my brother, and that has been an incredible motivating spirit uh, for me uh, in my career. And I, you know, that's that's why I do this work because yeah. it's very very personal to me. Yeah, absolutely. And and if the plans that you've worked in and led, uh, you know, are good enough for a close family member, I mean, that's the greatest test of an insurance product that there is, right? Like yeah, my I mean, mother's, my mother's enrolled in Medicare Advantage up in Maine uh, with Aetna, and they're doing a great job for her through some tough stuff. And you know, if it can pass the mom or the brother test, that's all you really need to know, right? It, it, it really, it's, it's so true. And um, yeah, so, you know, my only disappointment is that I don't have my own offering for him in, uh, in New York and I haven't compelled them to move to Massachusetts. But, you know, there's, still, there's still time. I'm sure you'll get there, my friend. So you guys, um, in addition to all this enormous activity that you've gotten CCA into since you restored it to health, now you've, you've, you've started uh, an investment arm for CCA. I mean, I've always known you as a gambler and you and I have always had some fun playing cards and things of that sort, but this is a whole other uh, realm for you. And so what can you tell us about the investment approach through um, the venture arm that you just established? Yeah, so we, um, Winter Street Ventures, uh, yep. CCA, our headquarters is on Winter Street, 30 Winter, Winter Street. So the name uh, was, was, was not, it was clever, but, but nothing, not, you know, uh, really uh, entrepreneurial. But, but what we do with it is quite entrepreneurial. We created it in 2016. And along the way, uh, I realized that we were giving away a lot of intellectual property, especially at the times where, where frankly, we were as an organization flat broke. And I was looking for every sort of thread where I could bring some type of financial prosperity to the organization and had at the time, very long conversations with our chief medical officer, a guy named John Lofnane brilliant physician. And I remember I said, John, like you're, you're giving all this away for free. And there's got to be a way that we can capture some of the IP and potentially monetize it. Yeah. So we stood up Winter Street Ventures in 2016, um, made a couple of investments um, that turned out to be very successful. Babel Health revenue management company sold to Allscripts yeah. recently. Um, we were one of their first customers. Uh, we, we, we made a very small investment and I'm disappointed that it was very small in two former employees of CCA, Ayaram and Toyin Ajayi in a little venture they were creating called City Block, um, uh, um, which is our most successful investment. And it's been amazing to watch them uh, both grow and build that organization. Um, and uh, we have uh, uh, made some investments in our own intellectual property. So we created a company in 2015 that provides emergency department level healthcare in the home. Um, wow. And that company is called Instead. Um, and, uh, and that now is serving CCA enrollees. And we're going to ex be expanding that out to other markets. Wow. Um, and then our most recent um, inve investment, which we just recently announced, is a co-venture with the Scan Health Plan in California yeah. around um, uh, a national pace expansion strategy. And the name of that company is, is My Place Health. 
And um, what an incredible opportunity. So first of all, Benoit Ben Sally, who went to that organization, yeah, we know Benoit. I worked together on a variety of ventures when he was at Sandbox and I was one of uh, uh, the independent directors that they, they, they called on and I served on a board of a technology company called Healthify. And when Benoit decided to do something different with his career, he called me and said, I have this great opportunity with, with, with scan. And what do you think? And I'm like, it's an amazing organization and you'll be able to do incredible things. And yeah. Sachin and Jane had just sort of arrived as CEO and, mm -hmm. um, not too much long after he called me and said, what do you think of Pace? And I said, you know, we've been trying to acquire Pace assets and haven't been so successful. And he said, well, we're thinking about launching a, a company. And uh, would you consider being an investor? And it didn't take long. Uh, once I got acquainted with Sachin and Benoit showed me their plans. Yeah. Said, you know, we should, we should just do this as a joint venture. You know, we bookend the country as, as the greatest health plans that serve seniors and complex individuals. And there's so much opportunity here to do this in the way that it was really intended to do. So, yeah. so that's what we set out to do. Um, they had an, an, an entrepreneur in residence named Robbie Podharst that was ready to become the CEO. We capitalized the organization and, uh, and stood up My Place Health. And we've just signed our, our lease to, um, to have our first location in California. And we're working awesome. on the... The design. So I'm really excited about that. And I think, you know, we both organizations have this, these incredible care models, which I described yeah. ours. I know he's described theirs. And now that we can even have a deeper and closer relationship with the consumers through the PACE offering is just, it's really exciting. And, you know, I think, you know, every time Sachin and I see each other and talk about this, I think our only regret is like, why can't we have a hundred thousand members in it tomorrow? Right. You know, it's a little bit of a, it's a different sort of <clears throat> Um, uh, uh, a pace of growth, but it's going to be very deliberate. It's going to be very special. And um, I'm really excited when we, when we do the ribbon cutting at our, at our first one, which is going to be right in, in Sachin's backyard in California. Um, so it's That's been awesome. a great venture. And, you know, we also recently made an investment um, in a company called Lynx, which is a FinTech um, uh, company uh, uh, set up by Matt Renfro, who's the CEO. And, um, and really a way to do payment transactions around supplemental benefits and other uh, things. Wow. That there. And that was, that was our most recent uh, one that we, we just closed on. And we have a few more to announce, hopefully the next time I see you. Jesus, dude. So when I heard that announcement, I mean, the partnership with Scan, I mean, I couldn't, couldn't imagine a better fit organizationally or between the two executives. I mean, Sachin's a dear friend for 15 years now. And the, just the idea of the two of you working in this space is just electrifying for a guy like me. Pace was our very first investment here at, at Nightingale. So we, we are very heavily invested in the program and what it's out there to do. But just seeing the two of you guys in that sandbox together is just, it's so exciting. And I'm really, uh, really excited to see where you guys are going to go with it. Thank so- you. It's no secret that you're in the midst of this multi-state expansion strategy. Um, you acquired Vitality in California and then Reliance in Michigan. And more recently, you got into Rhode Island. Um, what can you tell us about the strategy there? And are you done growing for now? Or are there even more markets on the horizon? You mentioned Indiana. There are more markets on the horizon. And, and as, as you know, from, from your days um, in consulting, 
and, um, and, and, and just being a healthcare executive, it, it takes some time to be licensed in a market. And we are, we are, we are, our, our legal team is working on uh, getting licensure in states that we may consider in the future. Um, you know, so first, you know, we want to be in markets where we can um, participate in programs that integrate Medicare and Medicaid. Right. And particularly on the Medicaid side, you know, we want to make sure that we have some reimbursement or can coordinate things that address social determinants. Michigan is such a market. Rhode Island is such a market. Yeah. California is such a market. Um, uh, and um, that really excites us. And there's, as you know, there's, there's about a dozen or so states that integrate Medicare and Medicaid really well. Um, we anticipate that there will be more um, that will do that. And whether that's through a Medicare Advantage offering or some type of an accountable care offering or some new model of payment that hasn't been released yet. So we're really excited about that. And we're also excited about states that have coordinated long-term service and support programs right. um, where we can participate. And again, um, help consumers get their social determinants of health addressed, get assistance with activities of daily living and live in the community. Um, so it's a, it's a large field. Um, uh, obviously, you know, the, the new dimension is workforce. How can we get people attracted to do the type of work that, that CCA uh, wants to offer its consumers? Um, and we have to continue to be innovative around how we attract uh, providers, whether that's physicians or advanced nurse practitioners or nurses, social workers, et cetera, to this very, very challenging work. And um, we have a variety of strategies, we think, to roll out. So we are, we, are, we are in the early innings of our expansion strategy. I have, like I said, I've known you for 17 years, but I, I feel like I've got another 17 years to give uh, in my healthcare career. So uh, I've got a very bold agenda. Um, and uh, I believe that the type of, of offerings we have um, will appeal to the consumers. And there's, there's, a, there's a whole country of consumers that are looking for this type of, of approach. So, um, so, you know, the sky right now is our limit. Uh, we're going to be very deliberate in how we do it. Yeah. Um, and as you said, Vitality was an organization that we, we uh, bought out of bankruptcy and we're, um, we're able to um, help restore that organization from a financial perspective. And now we're working on restoring the confidence uh, with the provider community and the consumer base that we will serve uh, in California. Yeah. Um, in Michigan, it's a really special relationship with um, physicians that really care about their patients and about the communities they serve, which is a big component of our model. And, um, and we're really excited about what we are able to do. That's a very, as you know, very competitive market. And, um, but it's also very opportune for us. Um, you know, we don't go in and think about we're going to disrupt somebody else. We just think there's a, there's a subset of consumers that may, that may be better suited with our approach. And, um, and that's what we're working on there. And then, you know, we do have our sights set on, on other markets, including Rhode Island, which we're, um, we entered uh, Genovo, so we're really starting from scratch there. Wow! And um, and really excited about that that marketplace as well, and the, the the talent we've already been able to attract, and the the inroads that we're making. It's awesome. I mean, I'm a hammer looking for a nail, Chris. And what's always fascinated me about your career, and especially your work at CCA, is the priority that you guys put on the social health. Uh, of your members in the in the services and interventions that you offer them, where are you guys investing right now in non-clinical services and and social health? I mean, obviously, you know, it's sixty to eighty percent of healthcare expenditures attributable to 
poverty and that that really kind of being one of the the core missions of CCA what are some of the things that you guys really place emphasis on in in the social determinants of health interventions yeah it's a great it's a great question so we spent um first of all we spent a lot of time several years ago in looking at ways we can disrupt uh transportation uh and is there are there are there entrepreneurial companies we can work with and how do we essentially create an uber type experience for our consumers which are using that covered benefit in massachusetts quite significantly yeah. and i would say there's still you know COVID has sort of slowed that down there's still work to be done um, my current sort of focus areas, um, first of all, are on housing stability, um, on continuing to uh, treat individuals' um, mental illness, and frankly, if they have any type of addic addic addiction disorders. Um, we have an experiment right now that it actually is uh, in conjunction with the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and the city of Boston, where uh, there was um, about 150 people living on the streets just around the corner from Boston Medical Center that were um, uh, uh, all addicts, all homeless. And we, um, we uh, in, in partnership with the state, stood up 30 temporary housing cottages. Wow. And we are, we are operating um, uh, that, um, that solution. Uh, and those consumers are able to get housing. Um, they're able to get addiction counseling. They're able to get placed into permanent housing. They're getting medical care. They're getting nutritious meals. So that's an experiment for us. Um, and uh, it's been very exciting. Um, we are looking at uh, food security. And, and I anticipate Winter Street Ventures will make an investment in a, in a company that provides not only nutritious meals, but meals that can be tailored to someone's clinical diagnosis. Um, and then we are, again, we're, we're continuing to, to, to evaluate how do we round out the offering um, and get people served through a, a continued digital strategy, which you know everyone became digital during COVID because you had to. Right. Um, we're back in the communities, and we we really never left. But now we want to supplement what we do with digital strategy. Um, you know, we continue to look at um, ways to provide more advanced care in the community. So when you think about again addressing someone's activities of daily living, oftentimes when someone hits a point of declination they have to go into a nursing home. And we really believe at this point that you can keep somebody in the community um, until they ultimately you know, end up going to heaven. And, and you know, that's through a variety of services, most of which are not medical services. Right. <clears throat> and you know, we have struggled like everybody, there's been supply chain issues with durable medical equipment and things, but you know, we believe that we, we have a pathway to make sure that consumers are best served um, in the community. And we're looking at companies that help with logistic management, supply chain, chain management, and getting people the things that they need as quickly as, as possible that are gonna be their lifeline um, uh, to, to, the, to the community and staying in the community. Um, so that's, that's sort of where I'm really excited. Um, you know, as I said earlier, we have some clinical offerings. So we do have, we own and operate two storefront primary care clinics. Right. Um, we are now rounding those out and adding and reconstructing them and adding community centers where people can come in. We call them engagement centers. People can literally come in without needing to go into the primary care part of the, the operation and get, get socialization. They can meet with their friends. They can meet with a peer counselor. They can get, uh, they can get food. Yeah. Um, we can identify if they have other unmet needs. And I, I anticipate we're going to build more of those. Um, and we also, John, we operate um, inpatient um, mental health respite psychiatric facilities 
where oh, traditionally wow. people would have to go to a locked bed right. in the basement of a hospital um, because something happened in their life. Maybe their medications went haywire or they had a triggering event. Historically, what would happen is they'd go in for three days, get discharged, not be stable, go back, go through that merry-go-round for several days. Well, we, we decided to build some of our own facilities. And uh, the, the key ingredient is they're getting care from a, a team that knows them. They're getting their, their medications reconciled from physicians that had prescribed them originally. And they're staying for seven or eight days. And when they leave, they don't come back. They go back to the community, they're stable. Right. And they're done. And, yeah. uh, and that's <clears throat> another thing that I, I, I foresee us scaling out over the next several years. That's just awesome, Chris. And we now have so much overlap between the stuff our, our respective organizations are working on. This whole year, doing a deep, deep dive on food security, uh, non-urgent medical transportation, and broadband internet access. And uh, when we get done here, you and I should definitely have a, a conversation about some of the things we're seeing in market and you know some, some things that we think uh, would be worthy investments for Winter Street to jump in on. Yeah, we'd love to. I mean, I, I, you know, the last thing that you said really, really strikes a note with me in that, you know, we want to do everything through um, a smartphone. And the reality is those run best and most economically efficient on the internet and not through a cellular connection. And there, you know, in Massachusetts, yeah. like many states, we see these Wi-Fi deserts where it's just not available. Yeah. And you're creating these disparities that don't need to exist. And I think yeah. if we can get folks up onto a digital platform and get them the device that's going to help run a lot of these programs, um, it, it, it's going to be breakthrough. I mean, yesterday I looked at a platform that, that has all this programming that you can use in an iOS or an Android or your home computer. And uh, what a way to engage someone that's lonely or looking for education yeah. on, their, on their disease or looking just to connect with a friend. Um, and you know, the first thing that, as I saw it, I'm like, I love this. Now I got to figure out how do I get this to everybody? Because I have, I have these, these situations where people don't have, don't have the internet. They don't have Wi-Fi, yeah. and yeah. they don't want to use it. They have, and they're paying for uh, minutes. They don't want it. They, they're not going to use the minutes. They could talk to their grandkids or, you know, other loved ones on that type of, of, of self-care application. So we have to solve that. So I do look yeah. forward to um, to talking to you more about that. And that's something that, you know, every, every health insurance company, every state Medicaid program can take advantage of. And, and we can really finally sort of end some of these critical access barriers that, that have existed since the beginning of time. We learned the hard way on that one, Chris, and that, you know, a lot of our work at Nightingale like yours is revolves around the duels as being, you know, some of the most vulnerable folks in the entire health system. And we were finding upwards of 50% of the duels we were trying to reach were not connected. Yeah. Um, and that was either because they didn't have internet access at all and or they lacked basic digital literacy to be able to use any of this stuff and or they lacked a device that would um, enable them to use it to its full effect, like just a flip phone, uh, as many seniors do. And um, it became very clear to us in the early days of this pandemic that, that internet access was the new super social determinant of health. And that if you wanted to have any hope of engaging, especially duels who need it the most, you really had to make this easy and uh, no cost 
for these folks. And, you know, just giving them access wasn't enough. You had to show them how to use these devices. Ideally, you'd provide them uh, a smart device with all the apps that these folks would use already preloaded on there. And part of their onboarding is here's how to use these various apps that uh, that are going to be important for your care management or for your social engagement. And, um, you know, that's just been a central feature of just about everything we've done since because that digital divide is so broad right now. And, you know, like yesterday, I'm trying to get my second booster for the vaccine. And this convoluted, tortured digital process I got to go through to book a vaccine at CVS, I've been screwed if I was like 75 years old and had no idea how to use this stuff. And I'm trying to book my second booster to save my own life. And I can't even navigate the basic uh, technology of the CVS app. Right. I know, you know, it's amazing. You know, that's near and dear to my heart. There was a time uh, when people were getting their first vaccination at these mass vaccination sites all over the country. Yeah. But here, you know, think about where the Patriots play football, yeah. people going to Gillette and uh, and getting standing in line and doing this. Well, you know, there's 25,000 people in, in Massachusetts that they can't get out of their house to get there. So, so yeah. what do you do? So, uh, at the time, the Medicaid director, my dear friend, Dan Side, called me and said, can you help us with this? And we ended up, we put together both a, a software logistics program, because it, again, if you remember, there was a, there was a gray market for yeah. vaccines, so you had to control the supply chain. Um, we put that together with, uh, with my friends at Salesforce, uh, thanks to them and our IT team. Wow. And we procured a community-based vaccination workforce. And we, 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 we put shots in 5,000 people's arms. That wow. would never have gotten it because they couldn't get out of their house. So I get it. And now, now you think about, well, the other end of that spectrum is, well, there's, there must be technology that can help this. And now we're into the, the second round of boosters and it's still so damn difficult to do. Yeah. And for someone like you that, you know, is a, is a, has been a healthcare CEO and yeah. is a, is a, is a technology wizard and you're struggling. So you're right. Someone that's 75 that, that, you know, may not have even learned how to use an ATM machine is now supposed to go do this. It makes yeah. no sense. And it's really, yeah. it's, 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 it's becoming a, an unintended barrier. Yeah. And one that's relatively easy to remedy uh, once you put your mind to it. So I'll, I'll look forward to a conversation with you about that stuff when we get done here, my friend. Awesome. So last question, Chris, you know, obviously there's an arms race going on in the managed care industry right now around social determinants and health equity. Mm -hmm. Um, but I tend to think of this as sort of like a bifurcated arms race and that you've got the big nationals making huge strides here. I mean, last week we saw both United and Kaiser throwing another $400 million at housing for their vulnerable seniors. Um, where do you think, and, and then, you know, the middle market, you know, the smaller local regional powerhouses, generally struggling to catch up. A lot of them not having the first idea how to get started, um, being stretched too thin at the staff level to be really thoughtful about how you move forward with a, a social determinant strategy. And, um, you know, there, it's almost like a tale of two cities around addressing social health factors, whether you're, you know, a big publicly traded company or you're a regional powerhouse like a CCA. 
Um, where do you see all this going in the next five to 10 years in the industry? I mean, I, I, I won't color your thoughts, but I, I kind of think of some of this or hope of it uh, getting integrated into overall care management and population health. And we're not even talking social health a decade from now, but maybe I'm just it, being overly it, optimistic. It, has, it, it absolutely has to. I mean, yeah. I just, you can't, you know, once upon a time, we used to talk about people getting primary care access, and that was sort of the big focus of, right. of healthcare and health insurance companies. We're now talking about there are factors that people are dealing with every single day. I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about food security and housing. If Let me tell you, if, if those two issues are not solved, you're, you're not going to worry about taking your diabetic medication. Right. You're yeah, not going to care hierarchy, if, right? if your site of care is the emergency room as opposed to the doctor that you should be seeing. Yeah. Because I tell you what, you walk in the emergency room, you're going to get a warm meal and hopefully a warm bed. Yep. And um, it has to be front and center in the conversation. And I think what happens all too often is there is these stigmas against people that have physical disability, have homelessness, have extreme poverty, serious mental illness, addiction, et cetera. And these are the, these are the folks that we need to be helping. And these are the ones front and center that are struggling with these very, very issues. And first of all, left uncared for and unaddressed, these folks are living horrible lives. Yeah. They, they don't, they, they, they do not have a chance to live a good life. Um, secondly, um, you know, they're, 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 they end up entering the system in the places that are the most costly and, the, and, and, and frankly, the most inept in being able to, to actually do anything for them. Um, so, you know, this is hard, right? And this is, yeah, you know, so is. I would say, and what I learned when I was at the Visiting Nurse Service of New York, which truly was an organization that was in every community across the state of yeah. New York, yep. and CCA is in every community, you have to rely on those community-based networks. And, you know, the, 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 the bigger insurance companies are getting very wise to this. Um, now, the community-based networks, they're, they're not as sophisticated, they're, they're maybe more difficult to work with. Maybe they right. don't have the same scale, but that these are the, these are the entities that know how to solve these problems and we can activate such a powerful asset. And, you know, this is what I learned when I was involved with Healthify, which is a technology backed company yeah, um, that um, I, I ended up going on the board. This is how I met Benoit Ben Sally and then became quickly chair of the board. And uh, we exited the company um, last year um, and Monik Bot, brilliant CEO, he saw this. He saw, I can activate all these entities that have historically been left behind because they're too hard and too complicated to work with. And I can right. essentially create a network to serve a consumer. More of that needs to happen. And you have some awesome companies now, in addition to Healthify, you have Unite Us and right. you know, all the other ones that I'll fail to mention, but there's you know four or five of them that are really Sort, sort of focused on these problems and now can hook up to whether it's a regional health plan like CCA or, you know, um, the, the big ones like United Humana um, and all the other ones. Um, and I think that's creating opportunity. And what I hope we continue to do is remember that we have to put um, reimbursement against these challenges and oftentimes solving these things yeah. will create a tremendous return on investment. Okay. First of all, you're, you're, you're going to improve someone's life. Yeah. Okay. If that's not enough, you're going to have, you know, two, three, four, six times return on investment for every, 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 if you send a dollar, spend a dollar, you save six. 
Yeah. And um, we have to keep thinking about that. And my hope is that at some point, housing security as a healthcare benefit happens because right now you have two different federal agencies that don't really talk. The right. dollars don't cross over, but the reality is um, homelessness and marginal housing is, is real. It's real. And we have to tackle that. And we have yeah. to be able to do that at the policy level and be willing to, to take that on and really yeah. look at what's happening to individuals like the folks that we've been serving that historically lived on, on Mass and Cass Avenues in, in, in Boston yeah. and how we've been able to improve just a small sample of, of individuals' lives. This is happening on massive scale across this country. Yeah, and worsening with the pandemic. And you know, there was a piece in the New York Times earlier this week about the rapidly growing ranks of homeless seniors um, and that they're entering Medicare eligibility unhoused uh and it's it's thousands upon thousands of them that are sort of joining this van life lifestyle not by choice but because they just cannot afford to find housing uh basically living off a social security check anymore that's right so yeah i mean it's like the long time struggle i think we've had in the industry is helping insurers realize that yeah, it sucks that our national social safety net is like got more holes in it than Swiss cheese. But because we are 100% at risk for the cost of this population, by necessity, we are the social service agency for these people. That's right. And, you know, we have to get into things like food programs and housing and transportation because there isn't anything else for them. But at the end of the day, we're holding the bill uh, for what these, these things cost and prevention of... Um, you know, these social health calamities is relatively cheap. And as you point out, yields these incredible returns on investment as a result. It's, I'm right there with you, brother. Well, Chris, this has been, as we anticipated, an amazing conversation. I just, just love my time with you, man. And um, would love to uh, follow up and, and talk about how our, our two organizations can continue working closely together. I look forward to that, John. And every every time that I get to spend even a second with you is a bright spot in my day. So it's great <laughs> to have spent Thanks, the last brother. hour chatting with you and, uh, and, and let's go do some great things together. Yeah, I agree. Thank you, my friend. Thank you.